0: All right, day 306, welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast, my name is Keith and remember this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. Alright, so we're working our way through the book of Revelation, uh, we are still moving with steam and power through the last book of the Bible and in chapter 9 we continue with the judgment that is coming upon the earth. So remember last time we talked about these seven trumpet blasts and how they're categorized as divine judgment as well right and so here in the beginning of non and ending uh, uh here we, we have these trumpets the fifth trumpet here is the locust and we talked about how that uh, plays into the Exodus imagery but it also takes imagery here with the locust specifically of Joel and remember in Joel it was a foreshadowing of the day of the Lord so we talked about how judgment is the day of the Lord well that's one way to categorize the day of the Lord in Scripture and it is taking place at the sound of these trumpets right and um I love where he goes uh, he says these locusts are to come on the earth right but they aren't to harm the earth he says they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree but only those who people who have not sealed uh, who who do not have God's seal on their foreheads right or God's people for that matter right he's trying to say remember that we have been sealed right so that we, we won't we won't be uh, consumed by the judgment but we'll actually pass through it as God's people right and he says uh they were to torment the unrepentant for five months verse 11 it says they had as their king the angel of the abyss and his name is hebrew or his name in hebrew is abaddon and in greek his name is uh apollyon both of these words uh, mean destruction so what many have concluded based on the description of them especially the falling from heaven etc is that these are fallen angels uh fallen angels and satan with his demons um and the irony that uh, chapter nine is trying to show us is that uh, these are people who worship Satan and his demons, right? These unbelieving uh, 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 people who worship Satan and his demons are tormented by the very main, uh, very beings they actually worship uh, during the judgment of the fifth trumpet. And you see it at the um, end of the text. He talks about how um, in nine uh, twenty, the rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Uh, Listen to this to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold silver, uh, uh, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, here or walk, right? So even in the midst of judgment, again, God still was giving an opportunity for repentance, right? As we talked about with the Exodus story, but like Pharaoh in the Exodus story, right? These nations and people didn't repent, it says, right? Look at verse uh, 21. It says, and they did not repent <laughs> of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Uh, in spite of God's infinite patience, right, there was no repentance present. And similar to Pharaoh, right, when God's revelation came to him, he didn't repent, but it actually led to the callousness of his heart. Here, in a similar way, it was, it's described of, it, or, or then it was described as a hardness of heart. But here, in a similar way, it's a described as a continuing in their idolatries. And I think we learned a spiritual principle uh, that is present all throughout the Bible, that uh, when God reveals himself, either <laughs> people do one of two things. Either they repent or they have hardened hearts, right? Either they drop deeper into their suppression of the truth to use Paul's language or they come and accept the truth, right? Um, Revelation 10 comes and we receive uh, another interlude that interrupts uh, the sixth and seventh trumpet. Uh, There is this angel with a little scroll in his hand and he is told to uh, eat it, right? John is told to eat it. And here John takes the decrees of God and he's called to prophesy to many nations, languages, and kings. Uh, That's language from uh daniel chapter 7 john is uh, given authority here by christ to prophesy what will take place at the end of the mystery that has been locked up for ages but will ultimately be revealed and he talks about how it's both bitter and sweet and many people say like hey uh um It's it's language from Ezekiel, but he's using this kind of language to talk about how God's word is both bitter and sweet uh, while intaking and preaching of scripture uh, by John prophesying here is sweet. The callous rejection of the hearers is what actually makes it bitter. Right. And I think we can kind of feel that, too. If you've ever taught the Bible or or, or, or shared the gospel with somebody and you just feel the hardness, uh, you experience the hardness of their heart uh, in conversation. Right. It is a kind of bitter, sweet reality. But he moves on in uh chapter 11 And uh the very things he's told to prophesy and talk about uh are displayed here. And John is giving this measuring read, right? So he's told to go to the temple and measure it out and count those who worship there while excluding the outer courts. Now it's interesting because he's using language from the Old Testament. Ezekiel was told to do the same thing. Um the, the outer courts were were for the Gentiles, right? And, and 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 where he's uh measuring the inner courts were for Israel, right? And again. Because this is this is the new covenant, the new Israel, uh, the temple of the Lord now is God's people, right? And so the nations are those who aren't measured, those who don't accept Christ, right? Um, and they are going to try to trample the holy city, it says, for 42 months. Now, this is not literal, so don't be like, Man, are we in the 42 month period? Oh my gosh, I'm so scared, right? Um, this is just uh this is six seven month periods. So it's highly symbolic, once again. You see the sevens. What's crazy though is the fact that uh, what John is describing as this persecution by the world, uh, of these believers, some interpret this as this great tribulation. You've probably heard that language. If you've been in, uh, specific theological circles, um, some say, some argue, try to argue for that being a time of the future. Um, if you've listened to all of this podcast, you can probably tell that I believe that, um, the great tribulation happened at the execution of the Messiah. Like, come on, like how could God's people be more persecuted, right? Um, and and it is continuing until Christ comes actually back. Right. So, um, I would say this started when Christ died and resurrected. Um, nonetheless here it's speaking of the persecution of God's people. Um, and he says he raises up two witnesses. Very interesting, very interesting language. And this has been interpreted in many ways because if you read ancient Jewish literature, uh, outside of the old Testament, and even I guess the old Testament Malachi four, um, it talks about how folks like Enoch and Elijah would actually come back in the last days. Um, and so uh, many Jews believe that, and so uh, it's very interesting that he says that. But I don't, I don't actually think that's what's going on here. I think um, the the point he's trying to make is that these two witnesses are actually the church, especially because he calls them lampstands in eleven four, which harkens back to chapter one and he says they will be faithful unto death right and they will be raised up and vindicated righteous by God and will be brought to be with him forever in the same way Jesus is and has right they have to prophesy the text says in sackcloth right remember sackcloth and ashes was a sign of mourning in the Old Testament for the wicked state of the world right we are not just against the world right we, or we we are not against the world. we are for the world actually um and, and we mourn for the wicked state of the world that is turning against Christ and for those who have and Uh, for the evil right that it will bring upon itself and um i think the two witnesses too is, is is important because even in jewish thought the idea of two witnesses um had like many layers so you have moses and elijah right which represented the two witnesses of the law and the prophets or all of the old testament and you have moses and elijah showing up with jesus on the transfiguration so you just have all this imagery um and i think um what what the text is saying that we take on the prophetic mantle as god's people Right. Who, who prophesy and declare uh, God's word faithfully to the end and endure. And um, it's funny because he talks about here this, the witnesses, the church, the God's people, uh, those who are persecuted, dying. Right. And then he says they'll be resurrected. And then notice what he says in uh, verse 13. He says, um, at that moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell and seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake. The survivors, hear this, were terrified and gave glory to God in heaven so in other words it's so good he says this death and resurrection took place and gave way to a conversion so remember chapter nine he says no 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 like the plagues didn't do it (laughs) the plagues the plagues didn't lead people to repentance and faithfulness but he says god's martyrs will wow wow that's so powerful wow he says folks will come to recognize the glory of the god of heaven through your endurance right and I think this is an encouragement in there for us because in some ways he says like God's power, fam, like is present in our weakness, right? God's power is present in the church, being faithful and patiently enduring and being steadfast and movable, holding to the testimony of the Lord Jesus, regardless of what comes this, that very thing God uses in his power that is powerful in the hands of God to use for the conversion of our neighbors. <laughs> We're miraculous how God does that. And it's so funny because, again, we parallel the life of Jesus who died and resurrected. And that led to the conversion of the Gentiles. Right. The nations who don't know the Lord. All right? And I don't think this is uh, coincidental. And many scholars have pointed this out, that th- this very part of the book is at the very center of the book. Right. Th- because this is the message of the book. All right? He wants us to understand that Christ has conquered and that we can in him as well. Finally, we get to the seventh trumpet, the climactic judgment and coming of God himself in the person of Christ, it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Here he announces the arrival of God's kingdom. And the result is that we will once again, that he will once again dwell with his creation, the original intention of his creation that he had from the beginning. Chapter 12, last one of this bunch. Um, Chapter 12 is a little tricky uh so he begins the ch- the chapter uh he, he begins a new section of the book and he shows that this conflict that takes place on earth is not just something that happens on earth right it is it is also something that testifies to a cosmic spiritual reality and that there is a um a battle and a war between uh good and evil right but it it is an uh unequal but opposite war as i often say right like it isn't like uh they have both have the same power and somebody's going to win it at the end no 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 like god is is is, is Infinitely more powerful than Satan and um the powers of darkness. But he says this is cosmic war going on in heaven that parallels earth, right? And so see how he keeps oscillating, right, between heaven and earth, heaven and earth, heaven and earth. Remember in ancient Hebrew thought, remember in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? They had this kind of um dualism, if I if I can say it that way, um, where what happened in one affected the other, right? And I, I think John still is is carrying forward those themes here. And so it's broken up into three parts. The first, uh uh, verses one to six speak of a way in which the covenant community in the Old Testament, God's chosen people, were the mother of the Messiah. Right, so he uses this mother language, and Jesus reclaims and regains what is lost by our forefathers by being the promised Genesis thirteen or Genesis three fifteen C And the dragon, he says clearly, uh, both symbolizes Satan himself and the evil kingdoms of this world. He'll get more into the evil kingdoms of this world in tomorrow's episode. But in seven to twelve, we get this heavenly snapshot of what is going on on earth so remember he, he's saying like this stuff is not just people just doing bad stuff this is this is um uh uh if i can say it this way demonically and satanically animated right that people would persecute people who are being faithful to god right um and so he goes in here and, and in 7 through 12 the second section uh he talks about michael right some say this is michael the angel that we see in the old testament uh and some say this michael represents god's covenant community and even christ himself whichever view you take uh satan is defeated <laughs> right he is defeated by the angel of heaven uh and and and, and obviously the crucifixion of christ and the martyrs holding faithfully to the testimony of jesus i think what's interesting as well as you get down to the next few verses the text talks about this so the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring those who keep the commands of god and hold firmly to the testimony about jesus verse 17 reminds us that even though he has already lost right we know satan has already been defeated in a sense um the victory and the end has been declared from the beginning right um because but even though he he that has that has taken place he has not been cast away eternally like he will be in revelation chapter 20 right he still persecutes the church he still tempts believers right especially those who are obedient to god and are holding on to what he says and so I think the reminder is that, um, that these aren't matters of chance, right? Like the things we, 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 may diff, we, we may uh, go through and I'm not talking about just, I uh, walk down the street and I stumped, I stumped my toe, right. And the devil was after me. No, 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 <laughs> he's talking about the, the real live battles, uh, deep spiritual, uh, real battles are, are present and, and, um, and our resisting in the gospel and encouraging our brothers and sisters and sisters to remain steadfast in prayer and repentance and faith. All right will be the spiritual means uh, we use in this spiritual battle. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. Let's pray, God. We ask that we remember that the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. God, I pray that we will believe uh, in these real um, realities that are present in our universe, and I pray that we will stand firmly on uh, the side of good, on the side of God.